Saturday, August 1st, 2015 was a typical summer day in Wahlberg, North Carolina. It was sunny, but not too humid. A great day for yard work. Jason Corbett was cutting his two-third acre lawn in the exclusive Meadowlands neighborhood in Wahlberg, North Carolina. Once his neighbor Dave finished his lawn, he came over to help Jason finish. Afterwards, the two men relaxed and enjoyed several beers. Eventually, Jason's wife Molly and Dave's wife Michelle joined them. Around 8.30 that evening, Molly's parents, Tom and Sharon Martins, arrived for a surprise, or at least a surprise to Jason, visit. It was an almost five-hour drive from their home in Knoxville to the Corbett's home in Wahlberg. Tom decided to bring a cut-down tennis racket and a Louisville Slugger baseball bat previously used by his sons as a gift for the Corbett children. Since Jack, the oldest Corbett child, was at a birthday party, the gifts weren't given that evening. The family had takeout pizza and mojitos for dinner. After chatting, they all went to bed. Sometime in the wee hours of Sunday morning, everything changed. Welcome to True Crime Mama's podcast, a podcast dedicated to crimes and mysteries in North Carolina. Today, we have our very own Christina and Amber. How are you guys? Good. Yeah. Are you guys excited? The kids are, well, they're not really starting back to school, are they? Not really. Virtual learning. Yeah. What's the plan? (laughs) Amber, what about you? Um, Well, my kid's going to be going half to school and half online learning, so it's going to be a whole new ball game in our That's house. Interesting. That's going to be an interesting <laughs> thing to work through. Yes. I don't know about you guys, but my kids are insane. They are yes. so tired of being cooped yes. up in the house. They are acting like crazy people. Yes. Well, we have a little one who is going into junior high, so I guess he's oh not gosh. so little anymore. <laughs> and he was super excited because. He got banned as one of his electives. And guess what instrument he's going to play? What? The trumpet. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be fun for you. I know. Virtual learning (laughs) with the trumpet. How are they going to do that? I don't know. I'm hoping that we just kind of skip it and we'll go from there. Oh, my gosh. Um, I can't imagine. And we just don't have enough soundproof rooms in our house for a trumpet. <laughs> but up in the garage. The neighbors all love that. Yeah. Or in the backyard. In the yeah, the right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, guys. Well, are you ready to get started? Absolutely. All right, True Cry Mama. So today, Amber and Christina will be covering the tragic murder of Jason Corbett's. This is a really big case. It was. It was covered not just here in the U.S., but it was covered internationally. Yep, because he was from Ireland, right? Right. Yeah, he was Mm -hmm. Irish citizen. And then lived in Davidson County. Yes. Like right down the road from us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I work really close to um, where he was in Wahlberg. And people, before I knew about this case, would call the Meadowlands the murder land. Mm -hmm. And I never could figure it out. And now after researching the case... I understand why they call it the Murderlands. Makes total sense. Murderlands, yes. All right, ladies. Well, 
Let's get started. Starting date, Sunday, August 2nd, 2015, at 3 hours, 2 minutes, and 17 seconds a.m. Davidson County, 911, what is the address of your emergency? Um, my name is Tom Martin. I'm at 160 Panther Creek Court, and we need help. Okay, what's uh, going on there? My, my uh, daughter's husband, um, my son-in-law, um, got in a fight with my daughter. I intervened, and I, I think um, he's in bad shape. We need help. Okay, what do you mean he's in bad shape? He's hurt? He's, he's bleeding all over, and I, I may have killed him. All right, Tom, give me the phone number you're calling from, too, just please. I don't know. Uh, sorry, I don't know. I'm, I'm the uh, father. I'm visiting. I, I don't know. Was he drinking? Uh, yes, he had been drinking during the course of the day. All right. Is he conscious at all? No. Is he breathing? I, I can't tell. All right. What I need for you to do is I need someone to roll him onto his back, flat on his back. Okay. Hang on. He's a big, heavy man. I can't do it. All right. Is there anyone there that can help you? My daughter, and she's in terrible shape. Okay, someone needs to get him on the back, on his back. We need to verify his breathing. I'm trying, lady. Hang on. Okay, just put your phone on in, on the speaker. Okay, I've got uh, him rolled over. All right, I want you to put one hand under his neck, the other hand on his forehead, and tilt his head back. Put your ear next to his mouth and tell me if you can see or hear or feel any breathing. Send in the paramedics and ambulance to help you now. Stay on the line. All right, tell me what happened. Did you hit him in the head or? I hit him in the head. With what? With a baseball bat. With a baseball bat? Yes, ma'am. He was choking He was choking my daughter. He said, I'm going to kill her. All right, so we're going to start CPR. All right, he is still on his back. He is. All right, I need you to make sure that his mouth and nose are clear. It's a mess. I know, you need to clear it. Okay. Yeah, she's sending somebody. Okay. All right, everything is clear? Yeah, as clear as I can get. He's covered in blood. All right, listen carefully. I'll tell you how to do chest compressions. Yeah. All right, make sure that he's flat on his back with no pillows under his head. Place the heel oh, no of your hand. Under his head. No, nothing under his head. Yeah, got it. All right. First of all, tell your daughter to go unlock the door and turn on the front porch light. Go unlock the door and turn on the porch light. Place the heel of your hand on the breastbone in the center of his chest, right between the nipples. I'm somewhat familiar with this. Okay, well, I have to give the instructions. You just go ahead and do it if you know what to do. Put the other hand on top of that hand. Yeah. Pump the chest hard and fast at least twice per second, two inches deep. Let the chest come all the way up between the pumps. We're going to do this 600 times or until help can take over. Count out loud so that I can count with you. I'll set a pace for you. One, two, three, four. Faster if you can. One, two, three, four. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. All right. That's fine. Hey, are you with me? All right, listen to me. I need you to calm down so that we can help him, okay? All right, your dad's going to need some help pumping. I need you to get ready to pump, okay? okay. When he gets to 200 pumps, you're going to take over. Okay. He can show you how to place your hands, but I need you to stay calm. 
certified. I, I just can't think. Okay, you have to stay calm. Let your training take over. We need, we need to try and do this to help him, okay? Okay. All right, keep your dad pumping. One, two, three, four, that rate. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. First responders arrived at a scene that can only be described as brutal and heinous. Jason Corbett had been beaten to death with a 28-inch aluminum Louisville slugger and a garden paving brick. He was declared dead at the scene. Both Molly Corbett and Tom Martins declared self-defense. What happened that warm August night? Let's dig in to the life and death of Jason Corbett. Let's do Jason Corbett and his twin Wayne were born in Limerick, Ireland on February 12, 1976. He had a traditional Irish upbringing, a member of a large and loving family. He was one of eight, six boys and two girls. Big family. Big family. And he was especially close to his big sister, Tracy. And she described him. They said he was like a, a kind and caring soul. Like you could hear him before you could see him. Like, yeah. I mean, he definitely um, had a big personality. Yes. Yeah. And I heard that he gave the best hugs. There oh. were these big, huge bear hugs. Yep. Like a teddy bear. Yeah. And Jason loved beer, soccer, and his country. Mm. Sounds like a great Irish man. I know. Yeah, and he was well-loved by his family, friends, and colleagues. Many of his friends were lifetime friends, met in childhood, and they were sustained until the time of his untimely death. Mm. On August 31st, 1997, Jason's world was turned on his side in the most amazing way. His close friend from childhood brought her friend Max Fitzpatrick to a birthday party, and Jason was immediately drawn to this woman. He was beautiful both inside and out. He was absolutely smitten with her, and he showered her with flowers, cards, and dates. Jason was head over heels in love. I know. So precious. And Mags instantly hit it off with both Jason's family and social circle. In 2002, Jason took Mags on holiday to Barcelona, and he proposed. Oh, that's so nice. I got proposed to in Franklin's apartment. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I mean, Barcelona apartment in Kernersville, North Carolina. Yeah. Well, the ending was still the same. Yeah. You know. Still the same. It's okay. Yeah. But Barcelona. I know, right? Yeah. In 2003, they married in the star of the sea church overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. Prior to the wedding, Jason and Mags agreed not to see each other for three days prior. Ooh, it's dedication. <laughs> Jason, being the romantic he was, wrote her a letter for each day. Oh. On the day of the wedding, Mags was so overcome, she went to the bathroom to loudly sob. But she wasn't crying out of being upset, but instead out of absolute delight in finding her soulmate. These were two people who truly loved one another. Mm. In September 2004, they had their son, Jack. And in September 2006, they had their daughter, Sarah. Max said that they had their little prince and princess and their family was complete. They'd also recently moved into their dream home and Jason was just permitted at work. Life was good. Very good. Sounds like a Hallmark movie. I know. (laughs) Super romantic. On November 21st, 2016, everything changed for the young Corbett family. A lifelong asthmatic, Mags woke Jason to let him know that she was having an asthma attack and was going to complete a nebulizer treatment. 
Soon she realized it wasn't enough and asked Jason to call an ambulance. Instead of waiting for the paramedics to arrive, Jason stayed on the phone and drove to meet the ambulance en route. At the meeting point while waiting for the ambulance to arrive, Mag suddenly slumped forward. Jason started CPR, and once the paramedics arrived, they took over. Jason was instructed to follow the ambulance to the hospital. When Jason arrived at the hospital, he was taken into a private room, and he was informed that Max had passed away in the ambulance. And That's so sad. I know. And, of course, Jason, he was inconsolable with his grief, and his life, as he knew it, crumbled before his eyes. And sweet Mags was only 31. That is so young. I know. So tragic. So, um, gosh, I have full body chills. I mean, I'm just I'm I thinking know. about the story and thinking it's of how so sad, sad it is. Um, Jason wrote a letter to Max, but he wasn't able to read it at her funeral. His brother-in-law, Dave, read it on his behalf. Mm-hmm. And this is what the letter said. Oh, let's see if I can get through this one. Mm. To my beautiful soulmate and beautiful wife, Mag Mag, you just heard how much I loved you before we got married, and it has been a million times better than I could ever have dreamed. I could talk about how great, funny, and crazy you were all night. Words cannot express the depths of despair, anger, and hurt I am feeling at the moment. That you have been taken from me, your little monster Jack, and little baby Sarah at just the beginning of our life journey. I know we crammed in so much in the little time that we had together, but it was only a fraction of the life we had planned together. I'm taking some solace in the 10 years we spent together, and in particular, the last three years. I had the chance to share my life with someone special, and you made me the person I am today. Don't worry about the babies. All of us here today, family and friends, will make sure that they always remember how great their mommy was. I promise I will stay strong for our wonderful kids. The love and warmth and offers of support we've received from everyone makes me so proud of the person you are. You always said that I was lucky to have you. You were the girl of my dreams and then became the love of my life. Now you are the girl of my dreams again. My Mag Mag, I love you all of my life. Please look in on us from time to time. Love you always and forever. Jason. Wow. That is a powerful letter. It really is. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine the strength of their love. Yeah. It was unbreakable. To honor Mags, Jason decided to rally and raise funds for the Irish Asthma Society and was able to raise 34,145 euros. And part of the money from the Mags Corbett Trust was used to fund the IAS's Asthma and Pregnancy Booklet. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a a lot of euros. I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you think about the impact that that made, especially over in Ireland. Jason was only 30 when he became a widower. He had a two-year-old and a 12-week-old. He had quite a few dark days and his family supported him by helping with the children. And every single day, he would visit Mag's grave at lunch. That's sad. Yeah. Mm. By mid-2007, Jason decided to advertise for an au pair to help minimize disruption in the lives of his and Max family. He hoped it would help ease the day-to-day duties. Over six to nine months, he had live-in nannies from both Spain and Czechoslovakia. When the last nanny had to abruptly end her job to care for an ill brother at home, Jason decided it was in his best interest to hire an English-speaking au pair. 
That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it definitely helps with the communication barriers and just being able to make sure everyone's on the same page. Absolutely. So Jason hired a 25-year-old woman by the name of Molly Martins. Mm. She was a native of Knoxville, Tennessee. She grew up in a large home and had all of the luxuries money could buy. She had all-American good looks, beautiful blonde curls, and a beaming smile. To top it all off, she had an impressive resume. She claimed to be a qualified Montessori teacher, a graduate of Clemson, an almost U.S. Olympic swim team member, and vetted as a foster parent. She sounded like a dream come true. She sounds perfect. Yeah. However, the minute she stepped off the plane in Ireland on March 10th, 2008, Jason's friend Lynn realized that Molly was just not the needing type and said to her husband that Molly was just not what Jason needed right now. And I'll let you read what Meg's sister, um, Catherine, said. Oh, yeah, this is good. When she said, we really didn't get to know much about Molly because she didn't really socialize much. She didn't make friends or seem to make an effort to do anything. Mm. So it sounds like she was kind of standoffish. Yeah, maybe just a little. Yeah. So later, Jason's family actually found out that Molly was quite calculating, even from the beginning. She carefully reviewed all pair websites and job opportunities until she found exactly what she was looking for, a young, lonely widower with very young children. Molly's dazzling resume in reality was far from it. She never graduated from Clemson and had numerous low-paying jobs. And, get this, when she left the U.S. to go to Ireland, she was still engaged to another man. Stop. Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. And to top it all off, she was hospitalized at Emory University in Atlanta in February 2008. Now, I want to say there is nothing wrong if you need to get help um, with your mental health. Absolutely. Do it to do that. That's a good thing. But it's probably not the best idea to be hospitalized in February and then go and be off here in March. She had been diagnosed with potential bipolar disorder, and she had been on a combination of antidepressants and other medications. So she was on lithium, Focalin, Lunesta, Seroquel, Previgol, and Tramadol. Over the next few months, Jason seemed happier than before. He was smiling again. Molly came across as pleasant, polite, and devoted to the kids. Jack and Sarah seemed happy and well-adjusted to the new au pair. Well, that's good. At least the kids were happy. They seemed to really love her. By May 2008, Jason's sister Tracy noticed that things had moved beyond an employer-employee relationship. And as Jason's family got to know Molly better, stories always seemed to conflict with previous stories. Additionally, she wanted Jason's undivided attention. Anything less, and she would be miserable. Hmm. Yeah. That that can't be good. And I don't know if you counted, and not being judgy, but she came in March, mm-hmm. April, May. Yeah. Two and months. That's, that's a really short time to be yeah, getting to know someone like that. Whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, in June 2008, Jason suggested to Molly that she went home to visit her family in the U.S. He said he needed time and space to figure things out and slow down the relationship. So Molly went home, but she was very unhappy. She was constantly calling and emailing from Tennessee. In one email from August 8th, she said, Um, She said, I wish you wouldn't think of me as such a weapon for the kids. Shut up. It feels horrible. And even if I was with you, it would be eating me up and tearing me to pieces knowing you weren't sure you wanted me. Sorry, I sent more than I meant. I just want to be loved. 
not even as much as I love you. I just want to be loved back. What I'm saying is that neither one of us should live life with so much doubt. It hurts to carry doubt, and it hurts more to know that someone you love doubts you. Are you still there? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Um, Jason kept reiterating to Molly that he needed her to understand, that he needed time to think. It had, after all, only been five months, and they should be having fun getting to know each other. And Jason eventually wrote, I hate putting this on email, but it's hard to talk properly. Please know that I miss you and love you so much, but I'm scared, scared to let go in case I lose someone again or the kids lose someone again. I couldn't live through it. I really want to work through this, Molly. It may take time, but I want to try. Lots of love and please don't cry. You're the closest person to me and the last person on this earth I want to hurt. My concern is for Jack and Sarah. They haven't had enough tragedy in their short lives, and while I know that they are resilient, I'm nervous about putting them through anything further. I'm really scared, Molly. I don't want to lose you, but more so, I don't want to risk Jack and Sarah losing another mother if we don't work out. Those kids have had so much tragedy in their lives. They have. Molly's wish to the U.S. finally came true when Jason's employer, MPS, had a vacancy for a plant manager in their Lexington, North Carolina facility. It seemed like a perfect fit, seeing that it was only a five-hour drive from Molly's home town of Knoxville. On Valentine's Day 2010, Jason proposed to Molly. It was a simple and sweet affair. Molly wasn't impressed because there was no decorum, and she was so upset they left early that night. My goodness, it's quite a jump from his first experience. Huh? <laughs> but good thing she didn't get engaged in Kernersville, huh? Right. <laughs> the wedding date was set for June 2011 at the historic Bleak House in Knoxville, Tennessee. The venue, built in 1858, is also known as the Confederate Memorial Hall and is owned by the United Daughters of the Confederacy. It is a beautiful setting for a wedding. The house is built in an antebellum classic revival style and is on the National Register of Historic Places. And no expense was spared. Molly wanted the full Disney princess wedding. Almost 100 guests were invited. And Jason gave Molly's dad quite a sum of money. You want to guess how much? Mm, no, tell me. I'm afraid. <laughs> $49,000. Wow. I know. forty nine, And that was just part of the wedding. Wow. I, I'm speechless at that. That's insane. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and just weeks prior to the ceremony, Molly um, had a big reveal for Jason. She told him that she had been treated for manic depression and bipolar disorder. Now, I want to keep on stating there is nothing wrong with having a mental health condition. However, hiding something like that for three years from your future husband, that's just unexplainable. Yeah, and that's not fair to him or the children either. That's you need, that should have been one of the first things that, you know, she told him. Oh, absolutely. And when Jason heard, he was devastated. But all of a sudden, the mood swings, all the confrontations, everything just made sense. And he decided he was going to be determined to have his love and support to get Molly back to good health. He sounds so, like such a good guy. He really does. And it sounds like that there's not much that can knock him off his feet. Right. So during the wedding rehearsal, Molly had a bit of a dramatic event. She fainted. Hmm. Now, it was a hot day. It was about 101 degrees, but Molly somehow managed to collapse on the only available portion of grass. Well, of course. Yeah. You need a soft landing for your dramatic. 
Yeah, but you know what's really interesting is her family members didn't really react other than just kind of rolling their eyes and moving on. So they must be used to her antics. Yes, okay. must have been used to it. So the night prior to the wedding, the rehearsal dinner was held at a pub in Knoxville. One of the bridesmaids, Jenny, had remarked to some of the group how romantic it was that Molly was honoring Meg's final wish to look out for her children. Molly told Jenny that she had been pen pals with Mags, and Mags had entrusted her to help after her death. And then another guest commented how Sarah looked so much like her mother. When the guest was asked how she knew about Mags, she said that Molly told her that she was Sarah's biological mother and even had a story about difficult labor. Wait a minute. So she was spouting off stories that she knew Mags Mm -hmm. and that Sarah was her biological child. Yes. Wow. Okay. Okay. And this all came out at the rehearsal dinner of all the places in the world. My goodness. Yeah. Okay. The wedding day may have been made for a Disney princess, but Molly's behavior was nothing short of a Disney villain. It all started with, guess what? What? Tell me. A McDonald's cup. What? Seriously. Molly started screaming, crying, and creating a huge scene, and her brand new brother-in-law took the brunt of her wrath. Apparently, he ruined the wedding day by allowing his son to have McDonald's at her wedding. For shame. I know. And what's crazy is he was completely clueless. He had no idea that his son Adam even had McDonald's. The person who got him McDonald's was the maid of honor, Susie, and she had noticed that Adam wasn't eating any of the food, so she went to him to find out what was wrong. And he had told her that he was allergic to eggs, and there were eggs on his plate, so therefore he couldn't eat anything. Well, Susie remembered that there was a McDonald's on the way to the venue, so she arranged for him to get a Happy Meal. That was so sweet of her. Yeah, it was. I mean, not really that big of a deal, and she didn't really think much of it. But while Adam was delighted, Molly was furious. And she also took out her um, frustration on her maid of honor. So her maid of honor walked away fully understanding Molly's wrath. Wow. Yeah. On a wedding day of all the days in the world. So after yelling at her brother-in-law, Dave, Molly stormed away back into the house. Her mother, Sharon, quickly followed her. And then after a short time, Jason went into the house to check on Molly. According to another bridesmaid, Molly was in the bridal room, lying on the couch, kicking and punching pillows. She sounds like my seven-year-old when she doesn't get her way. Yeah, I mean, my three-year-old doesn't even do that. That's ridiculous. And she's a grown woman. Grown-ass woman, but this level of drama, let me tell you. Crazy. So, obviously, Molly was described as a bridezilla by her own bridesmaids. Rightfully so. Yeah. And instead of being appalled at Molly's behavior, her parents also blamed the maid of honor and Dave for ruining Molly's day. Go figure that one out. Sounds like the apple doesn't fall too far from that tree. Exactly. Jason's best friend, Paul, was finally able to pull Jason aside right as a couple were preparing to leave the wedding. Paul told Jason what Molly had said about Mags. And also, he said that Jason looked absolutely miserable, that he shouldn't look that way on the ha- what should be one of the happiest days absolutely. of his life. and that's your wedding day. Yeah, and he encouraged him. He said, Jason, you can totally walk away. And he said that, you know, no one really would blame him if he did. But Jason being Jason, mm-hmm. he shook his head and said he couldn't take a second mother away from his children. He smiled. He brushed Paul's hand away. And he got into the back of the car to leave the wedding with Molly. Mm. Oh, yeah. Jason, if you only knew. Mm. 
So after the wedding and lavish honeymoon in Cancun, Jason, Molly, and the children relocated to Wahlberg, North Carolina. Wahlberg is a small town, population 3,047, right between Winston-Salem and Lexington, North Carolina. And I must say, home to my favorite place to eat, chopsticks. Ooh, yes, yes. Yes. If you haven't been there, please go, y'all. The median property value is $159,000 in this area. Jason and Molly found a home in the exclusive golf course community of the Meadowlands where homes start around $250,000. Nice. Yeah. The family home at 160 Panther Creek Court was $400,000. Wow. And along with the new house, Jason gave Molly a decorating budget of, want to guess? Oh, you're killing me. Tell me. eighty grand. I got no words. <laughs> Can you imagine what you could do with eighty grand? I mean, I could decorate four houses. Uh, yeah, the, I sort of, I could buy another house for that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Jack and Sarah were enrolled at Wahlberg Elementary, and they adjusted very well to their new lives in America. And Jason made fast friends with the neighbors and enjoyed the casual, laid-back Southern life of grilling, golfing, and yard work. So, let's talk about what Molly did four months into the marriage. Yes, let's do she made an appointment with a North Carolina divorce lawyer because she wanted to understand her custody rights to Jack and Sarah in the case that she and Jason divorced. Four months into Four the months. marriage. I mean, that honeymoon period was short. For her, it was. Yeah. So before the wedding, Jason had committed to Molly that he would allow her to adopt Jack and Sarah. However, everything prior to the wedding... And also the stories broke his trust, and he just couldn't let it happen. I can't say that I blame him at all. No, not at all. And so then in November of 2012, he contacted a law firm in Charlotte via email. He needed advice regarding Molly's demand. I'll let you read what he wrote in the email. Okay. He said, I have been married to Molly for just over a year now, and we live in Forsyth County. We have lived here for just over a year. Is it possible to structure this, that if I ever get divorced, not planning to, that the right to keep the children is with me over Molly? What would you need from me if we were to proceed? So, Molly got to know neighbors in Wahlberg, and she continued to weave the story of how she came into the lives of the Corbett's. She again shared that she was Sarah's biological mom and gave a lengthy description of her labor. And the story of her friendship with Mags got even more intricate with claims of their epic friendship and that Mags had entrusted her with the children in the case that something happened to her. Neighbors described her as someone who liked to portray her life as grand, but it wasn't. According to a neighbor on Panther Creek Court, and I'm going to let you say what she said, because this is pretty powerful. Yeah, this this pretty much sums it up. said, she was mean to Jack and nice to Sarah. She didn't like little boys at all. Hmm. She would hang out at the pool all day with the kids and brag on her life. She claimed to be a high-demand model, but when we asked to see her portfolio, she said she was not allowed to share that. <laughs> It was all kinds of crazy stuff. She only mingled with the rich folks, not people like me. They now see how she really was, and she was an awful, awful person. Mm. I mean, if that doesn't say it all, pretty much does. So Molly began to confide in many of the neighborhood wives that her marriage was not as picture perfect as it seemed. She accused Jason of neglecting the children, abused alcohol, and was violent toward her. These 
admissions were always paired with drama, tears, and displaying bruises. Hmm. But what's interesting is the children later explained to their Aunt Tracy that Molly would actually give herself the bruises. What? Yeah. In fact, Sarah once witnessed Molly hitting herself with a hairbrush. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's that. No. Yeah. No. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, it's like she's speaking out of both sides of her mouth. She was complaining to Jason and get this poor Molly. No one liked her in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to move away. The neighbors soon realized that Molly tended to stretch the truth, and there was conversation about whether or not to divulge to Jason. They knew that Molly's stories just didn't add up with the kind of man Jason actually was. But in the end, they decided not to tell Jason, because how do you break news to someone that their partner's spreading terrible lies? That would be really hard to tell someone. I mean, how do you start that conversation? I don't know. I mean, I can't even imagine. And then what happens if he gets angry or doesn't believe them? And yeah. then you've alienated your own neighbor. Let's Yeah, you know, that's kind of awkward. You don't want to risk that. Yeah. So um, they decided not to. And... Kind of wish someone had, though. I wish someone had the courage, and I wish they would have told Jason how Molly had behaved. And maybe the events of what happened on August the 2nd, 2015, could have been avoided. Let's go back to that 911 call. The 911 operator stated that Tom Martins was calm, not out of breath, not normal. Paramedics arrived on the scene and said Jason's body felt cool to the touch. Both Molly and Tom had no clear injuries. Molly was making crying noises, but there were no visible tears. She kept tugging at her neck and had to be asked to stop. Jason was declared dead at the scene. Both Tom and Molly were taken to the Davidson County Sheriff's Office for their statements and were interviewed on tape. Additionally, evidence and Tom and Molly's clothes were collected. Tom Martins explained that he was woken in the middle of the night by hearing thumps. Because he wasn't sure what he was facing, he grabbed the bat intended for Jack and went upstairs to investigate. Once he arrived upstairs, he heard a scream coming from Jason and Molly's room. He went in there to find Jason choking Molly, and when Jason noticed him, he quickly changed position to a chokehold. Tom said to Jason to let Molly go, and Jason then said he was going to kill Molly. Tom then said Jason headed toward the bathroom, which had a door. He said he knew if Jason got the door in between them that Molly would be dead. So he reached around and hit him in the back of the head with a baseball bat. So something I find really interesting here. So if you can imagine this, there's Jason and in between Jason and Tom is Molly. Right. And Jason has his arm around Molly and... So she's kind of in the way. She's blocking everything. And right. somehow Tom has this extraordinary skill to like kind of do this like curved hit. To hit him on the back of the head. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't really add up for me. No, it doesn't make any sense. No. I, I, I wish I could figure this out. I mean, I keep on playing it over in my mind and yeah. I just can't see it. So um when he hit him, he said that Jason got even angrier and kept dragging Molly to the bathroom. Tom was close enough to Jason and hit him hard in the back of the head. He said at that point, Jason changed his tactics and went after Tom. As Tom is swinging the bat, Jason catches it and sent Tom flying across the room. And all the while, he was still choking Molly. 
I mean, who is this guy? Is he the Incredible Hulk? Superman? Something. I mean, no one has superhuman strength like this. No. So Tom got up from the floor, and he heard her rushing toward him. At that point, he grabbed the bat with both hands and began to struggle with Jason. All of a sudden, Jason went down. So Tom described this incident as what they call a Donnybrook. Right. And that's a really old-fashioned term, so I had to look it up. And it's really an uncontrolled fight. Mm-hmm. Sounds like something from the 40s. Yeah. yeah I like I'm it. I'm in a Donnybrook with you. Yeah. Yeah. But So that's how he described it. And then Molly um, had a statement to the police, and she actually handwrote this, and we found it. So why don't you go ahead and read what Molly had to say? Okay. Her statement says, My husband, Jason Corbett, was upset that he awoke and an argument ensued with telling me to shut up, etc. And he applied pressure to my throat, neck, and started choking me. At some point, I screamed as loud as possible. He covered my mouth and then started choking me again with his arm. My father, Tom Martins, came in the room, and I cannot remember if he said something or just hit Jason to get him off of me. Jason grabbed the bat from him, and I tried to hit him with a brick garden decor I had on my nightstand. I do not remember clearly after that. So who the hell keeps a brick on their bedside table? I I don't. Do you? No, but I mean... Maybe we maybe should. We should. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, I that's like the craziest thing. I mean, I've had some crazy things on my bedside table. I right, mean, like right. the nose Frida, you know, the thing that you suck oh. the sun out with. Oh yeah, that's kind of gross. Yeah, but I, a necessity I've, though, unfortunately. Yeah, but I've I've never had a brick, so that's that's the first one for me. Yeah. So the initial investigation of the home determined that Jason does, died as a result of domestic disturbance. Tom and Molly were identified as persons of interest, but they were not arrested because they were having um, further investigation and they're waiting on the autopsy results. Right. So Tom and Molly were both released and allowed to return to the home. And so within hours of her release from police custody, Molly arranged for and paid $5,500 for an industrial cleaning of her home. Hmm. Now, there's two sides of it. I there mean, are. because if I had blood all over my house and I was allowed to return to it, you better believe that I'm going to get it cleaned up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even if I don't know if I could stay there at that house no. if something like that had happened, but I would have to get it cleaned before I could sell it, you know. Or even go back in. To Absolutely. Be with you. So, Absolutely. I mean, I kind of get it. But when she did that, it prevented further investigation and tests. Right. And I'm not really sure why the scene was released. And even how Molly was allowed access, seeing that they weren't even 100% sure if she was the perpetrator. Um, all we do know is that the home was immediately cleaned and eradicated of any evidence. That afternoon, Sharon Martins contacted Wayne Lynch, that's Jason's brother, to notify him that Molly and Jason had been in a fight. She said that Molly had pushed Jason and that he fell and hit his head. She then said that Jason was dead. Wayne asked to speak to Molly, and Sharon refused. The call between them lasted about 20 seconds. Wow, she kind of went straight to the point, didn't she? Yeah, she went straight to the point. So Jason then walked to his parents' house to deliver the news, and then he contacted Jason's sister, Tracy, who was on holiday in France. Then the race was on to notify all family members before the news spread on social media. Several family members continued to try to contact the Martins family, but they couldn't get in touch with them. Finally, Tracy was able to get through to Sharon, who claimed that Jason was very abusive towards Molly. She incorrectly stated that the Davidson County Police had been called six times to deal with domestic abuse from Jason toward Molly. 
She also stated that Jason had been out drinking with his friends for 24 hours and came home and attacked Molly, but she pushed him away and he fell, fatally striking his head. Wow, that is some incorrect uh, information she was gotten there. Even a story. Yeah. So when Tracy finally got in touch with Molly, she said that Jason had been drinking all day and tried to strangle her. She pushed him, he fell backwards and hit his head, and that he was dead. Tracy asked to speak to Jack and was only able to tell him that she loved him and Sarah and that she would be there as soon as possible. But then the line went dead. Well, at least she got that out to him. I know, but I, I don't understand why they... Weren't even letting her have access to the kids. I, mean, I don't, yeah, I don't either. You need family when you're grieving. So Tracy knew she was in a race against time to get custody of the children. So she immediately arranged a flight from France to Dublin to North Carolina. While waiting six hours for a flight, Tracy began finding information for the Department of Foreign Affairs, which led to the North Carolina Honorary Irish Consul. Tracy provided him with all the details she had. When Tracy arrived in Dublin, Jason's best friend Paul and her sister Marilyn decided to accompany her on the trip to North Carolina. There are two goals for the trip. One, to gain custody of Jack and Sarah, and two, to bring Jason's body home to be buried in Ireland. I'm glad she didn't have to make that trip by herself. I know. Through the Honorary Irish Consul in Charlotte, Tracy was able to contact Shelley Lee with DSS in North Carolina to ensure the children would be put in her care per Jason's wishes on his will. When Tracy arrived in New Jersey, she was connected with Lieutenant Detective Wanda Thompson from the Davidson County Sheriff's Department. She was the supervisor on the investigation into Jason's death. She found out that in conversation that Molly was pressing for the release of Jason's body so it could be cremated in North Carolina. How convenient. Yeah. And upon further conversations, Tracy found out that not only were Jack and Sarah in Molly's custody, but Molly had filed for guardianship of the children and for their formal adoption. Oh, dear. She also had obtained an ex parte order on the grounds that Tracy was going to kidnap the children. And because of this, she was given temporary custody of the children. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I hate saying it, but typical Molly. Absolutely. When Tracy, Paul, and Marilyn arrived in North Carolina, they found out that Jason did not die to a fall, but instead had been beaten to death. They wanted to see Jason one final time, but that, too, was denied to them initially. Molly had begun her campaign against the Corbett family and even claimed that they had threatened her with the IRA and said that Tracy had stated she would take the children by force if necessary. Even though the Corbett family had asked to see Jason, Molly was adamant that they were not to have access to Jason and to speak to the Martins' attorneys. The Corbetts had no choice but to hire attorneys of their own. Now, let me ask you, what is an IRA? Is that like a 401k or something? Well, it's actually the IRA. I had to look it up, too, because okay. it was like, I don't think I know my history of Ireland as well as I should. And it's the Irish Republican Army, or um, they're also known as the Provisional Irish Republican Army. And they're actually a violent resistance group, and they sought to end British rule in Northern Ireland. Oh, okay. So, um, I can understand. I mean, I guess, like, how we would um, compare it is, like, that he was a member of a gang or the mafia. Right. So, something kind of similar to that. Got it. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. No problem. So, um, five days later, a deal was hammered out. Molly would release custody of Jason's body to the Corbett's. But there's a caveat. 
they had to sign a legal guarantee to underwrite all of the funeral costs, not just in Ireland, but also in the U.S. So they had to pay for his funeral here mm-hmm. and then in Ireland as well. So they exactly. had to pay for two funerals. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Just to get his body. Just to get his body. That's the only way she would agree to it. Oh, my. So Molly arranged a hasty memorial service, but wanted the Corbett family to not be there. So she told them, you're not welcome. Oh, they have to pay for it, but they're not welcome. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And so to make sure that no one showed up, the Martins family even hired an off-duty police officer to be there just in case. Wow. Yeah. That is some... Takes, rudeness right well, there. It takes some gut. It does. So when things fell at rock bottom for the Corbett family, two things happened that changed the trajectory of the situation. The first was when Tracy was contacted by the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. Now, this is a great organization. They were founded by Colin and Ethne Bell in memory of their son, Kevin, who died in New York. The trust not only covered the cost of transporting Jason's body from North Carolina to Ireland, but it also helped with the mountain of paperwork associated with repatriating a body. So on a side note, the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust has helped over a thousand families with bringing home their loved ones remains to Ireland. That sounds like an amazing organization. Yeah. And I mean, I can't even imagine how overwhelming it is. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start with repatriating a body. Absolutely not. Yeah. I'm sure that helped out with everything for them having to pay for two funerals. Exactly. Secondly, the family was referred to, and I'm going to tell you now, I'm probably going to butcher this. Her name was Kim Bonuomo, and she's a Winston-Salem attorney who specializes in divorce and custody issues. And what's great is she became a fierce advocate for the Corbett family. So Thank God for her. I know. Things are starting to look a lot better for them. So the Friday after Jason's death, he was finally ready for viewing. Tracy had lovingly picked out a casket similar to the traditional Irish casket, dark mahogany with brass handles. The funeral home gave the Corbett family as much time as they needed with Jason. The more time they stared at Jason, they couldn't believe the condition of his body. This almost 40-year-old man looked like he was 60. His features seemed to have a different outline. They realized how much work had to have gone into making Jason presentable for viewing. The men carefully checked Jason's body and saw that he had serious injuries, especially around the face and head. Jason's best friend, Paul, discovered the back of Jason's skull had been completely crushed. Oh, my goodness. It was absolutely horrifying to imagine what Jason had gone through. And they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jason had been murdered. And kudos to to the funeral home, too, for being able to do that. That's that's amazing. It really is. The top priority now was to regain custody of the children. There was a reason Molly was never allowed to adopt the children, and the Corbett family was determined that she did not maintain custody, especially since they viewed her responsible for Jason's death. The family was able to get in touch with the Irish Minister for Foreign Affairs, who reassured them that all possible consular services would be provided to get Jack and Sarah home to Ireland. By this time, Molly had taken Jack and Sarah to stay with her brother Bobby outside of Charlotte. They were also they were also told that the children only knew that Jason had died in an accident and nothing more was to be discussed with them. Which thankfully That's probably a good thing that they didn't know the extent of what happened to their father. Absolutely. 
And so two social workers were assigned the custody case, and it was marked as urgent, which here in North Carolina, that means a 72-hour response time. Tracy explained to DSS that Molly had a history of mental illness and had not been responsive to any communication from the Corbett family. Molly was ordered to not leave the state of North Carolina until the investigation into custody was complete. At this point, Molly was referring to Jack and Sarah as my children. However, she admitted she had never adopted or had legal custody of them. Molly also admitted that she had sought legal counsel about her parental rights not once or twice, but three times starting in 2011, then 2013, and again in 2014. Oh, my goodness. Three times. Three times. Well, she was adamant about it, wasn't she? Yeah, it was very important to her. DSS noted Molly stated that she was the only mother the children knew and she was determined to secure custody of the kids so much that she was prepared to seek legal counsel and go to court over them. Even though Tracy was the legal guardian, DSS was not willing to petition the court for custody of the children. They believed Molly when she said that Tracy was planning on taking the children back to Ireland and they had been through enough. Again, typical Molly. Typical. Only 30 hours after Jason died, Molly formally filed for guardianship, custody, and the adoption of Jack and Sarah. She also implied that the circumstances around Mag's death were suspicious. It became quickly apparent that the Corbett family was facing a nasty custody fight. A preliminary court hearing was set for August 14th. At this point, DSS was beginning to see the real Molly. Thank goodness. I know. Neighbors who were interviewed verified Molly's claims of abuse, but also said they did not necessarily believe her due to her exaggerating about so much. Additionally, they felt the Jason they knew did not match the Jason that Molly claimed him to be. During the hearing, Jason's will was reviewed and it stated that Jason wished for Tracy and David Lynch to be the children's guardians. He had also made Dave the executor of his will. Tracy ended up spending five hours giving her testimony. Can you even imagine, like, having, I mean, you have custody of the kids according to a will, and then you have to spend five hours defending yourself in the middle of just complete agonizing grief? Yeah. I mean, it's on a legal document, and you're having to defend it. That's that's insane. It is. When Molly testified, she claimed that everyone, including the Corbett family, called her the children's mom. And why don't you say what she said? <sighs> she said, I'm his mother. I have been his, meaning Jack's. Mother for eight years. I have raised and nurtured and taught him. I think it would be extremely detrimental for him to lose his mother. I'm also the only mother she, meaning Sarah, has ever known. I have raised her and taken care of her for since she was a baby, and I'm her mother. Molly also tried to gloss over her mental health issues by saying her initial diagnosis of being bipolar was a misdiagnosis. I mean, how do you do that? I don't know. She stated that she hadn't taken any prescription medications for depression in over eight years. And she made no mention whatsoever of her time in the Atlanta psychiatric clinic just before she came to Ireland as an au pair. Surprisingly, she did admit to telling an untruth to a friend about being an au pair to a family friend that she had known the mother previously. And she admitted that she actually did not know Mags at all. Well, thank goodness she told the truth about something. Something. 
So the hearing was on a Friday, and the judge decided to take the weekend to make his decision, and it was not expected until the middle of the next week. However, on Sunday morning, Tracy and David Lynch heard from their attorney that they needed to return from a weekend trip to Kansas, and it was urgent. The judge had rendered his decision and ordered that the Lynch family get temporary custody of Jack and Sarah. When officials went to remove Jack and Sarah from Molly's custody, it was dramatic and distressing for the children. Tracy and Dave met the children at the Thomasville DSS to take custody of them. The following Monday, Tracy Lynch was granted permanent custody. 36 hours later, they boarded their flights home to Ireland. But because it's Molly, those 36 hours, they weren't without drama. (laughs) Due to concern that the Martins family was going to file a legal challenge, the Lynches and the children were escorted by staff from the Irish Embassy. They had to travel under assumed names. And even changed airports multiple times. I mean, can you even imagine? It's like James Bond. That's what I was thinking. It's yeah. like, you know, Secret Service kind of stuff. Well, what's really funny is Paul, um, he was checking out of his hotel in Washington, D.C., and he forgot that he was there under an assumed name. And so he tried to check out under Paul. And what ended up happening is he kind of raised this red flag because there was no Paul there. So, I mean, it, it, it was just so crazy. I mean, I That's, can't even. Yeah. Oh, bless that family's hearts. <clears throat> So, the Corbett children finally got back to Ireland on August 20th, 2015. And Jason was finally laid to rest on August 25th, 2015, beside his beloved Mags. Hundreds of mourners packed Our Lady Queen of Peace Church in Janesboro for the funeral mass, where the two children were told they were the most important people present. As Songbird by Eva Cassidy was sung, and that was Jason and Mags' wedding song. Oh, Jack placed a Liverpool jersey on the altar beside his father's coffin, while Sarah placed an Irish jersey representing their father's love of rugby and soccer. Once Jack and Sarah were in Ireland, the Martins family were relentless in trying to contact them. So, typical Molly, ready for it? Uh, Give it to me. She tried to hire an airplane that was going to trail a banner over their schoolyard. Wow, that is extra. (laughs) Just a little. And then they also contacted the local newspaper in Limerick, and they started placing half-page ads. And last but certainly not least, they sent unsolicited friend requests via Facebook to multiple teens and families in Limerick. And they were just trying to do anything they could to get in touch with Jack and Sarah. But it was heartless, and it was actually kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it sounds like they were going to really great lengths to just... Cause disruption. Yeah, be silly. It's ridiculous. And as it always does, the truth began to come out. And this time it was in droves. The Corbett family learned that Molly stated that Jason was a member of the IRA. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also, he was an MMA fighter. Oh, well, that's a new detail. I know. Hmm. The more the police researched Molly's claims, the more inconsistencies they found. As police zeroed in on Molly's behavior in the 48 hours after Jason's death, the more suspicious she became. In addition to having the house clean from floor to ceiling, Molly and family members visited Jason's workplace to gather his personal effects. Additionally, both Jason's home computer and phone vanished into thin air. When the home was effectively sealed under court control, Molly asked to recover a few items from their home. So... 
Just remember, a few items was what she was given permission for. You, you would think, you know, a suitcase of clothes. Yeah, yeah just enough to get by. That kind of thing. Yeah. So permission was given, and Molly arranged for, get this, seven trucks. Seven. Trucks? Trucks. Trucks. To arrive at 6.30 in the morning to load up the house. Wow. But thankfully, the judge caught wind of that and ordered that everything was put into storage. Well, thank goodness he caught that. Goodness. <laughs> Seven trucks. <laughs> that's that's a lot. Well, with an eighty thousand dollar. I mean, I probably have seven yeah, trucks. Yeah, you're going to have seven trucks. So back in Limerick, the Lynch family sought counseling for the children, and through this, they found out many disturbing things about their time with Molly. Most notably, Molly repeatedly told the children that Daddy suffocated their mommy. Oh no, no. Yeah, she no. said that Jason killed Max. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, no. And they also witnessed many things that Molly did to gaslight Jason. So she'd hide his keys. She would speak only to the children and give him a silent treatment. And also, which I think is horrible, she would give him incorrect times for important events. So he would miss, like, kid things, like, you know, award ceremonies at the school or soccer games because she was giving him the wrong time and dates. Oh, that is not right. Yeah, and the kids also revealed that Molly was hiding recording devices in their home and even in Jason's car. And then an additional horrifying revelation came to light about Molly's treatment of Jack. If he didn't call her mom or did anything that angered her, she would punish him severely. On November 23rd, 2015, the Davidson County Sheriff's Department concluded their investigation into Jason's death. On January 4th, 2016, Molly and Tom are formally charged with second-degree murder and voluntary manslaughter. Just hours after Molly was charged, she lashed out on Facebook. Let me tell you what she said. I cannot believe the level of slander, harassment, and lies and absolute utter corruption. The truth does not matter. Shouldn't the truth matter? Shouldn't the truth prevail? Doesn't anyone care about the truth? She even claimed that the Lich family was using Jack and Sarah to fundraise to ensure she was prosecuted. She wrote, As the money is apparently being used for the family to publicize, fabricate, and perform an investigation of a crime that did not happen, to incriminate the children's mother, sorry, the person they called mom, as we are not blood-related, then yes, I would say that it is most inappropriate. Has anyone actually wondered where that money is going? Maybe that money was used to hire the locksmith to break into my house so they could go through my underwear drawer and not stand it as they did last week. I mean, who in the world wants to go through Molly Corbett's underwear drawer? I I don't know. Not me. (laughs) Ew. Yeah, typical Molly. So Molly and Tom were both released on bail of $200,000 and had to surrender their passports and thankfully agree to cease contact with the Corbett family. The very next day, the Lynch family went to the Corbett home in Walberg to collect the children's belongings. They arrived to a sad yet infuriating sight. The Martins' legal representation blocked entry to the Lynches inside the home, and the children's personal possessions were strewn across the driveway. The belongings, which were the subject of a protracted legal battle, had been haphazardly left in the driveway for collection, piled high and in full view of passersby. So much for the mom who cared so deeply for the well-being of her children. So we're going to stop here for today's episode, but please stay tuned for next time. That was a lot to unpack. You guys, 
I don't even know where you found all that information. What can you like talk a little bit about where you kind of got some of that and absolutely. Yeah. Well, Amber and I, um, both, um, unknown to one another ordered, um, my brother, Jason, which Tracy Corbett Lynch wrote. Oh yeah. So that actually was written and released after, um, the trial. And so, um, I got it on Kindle. Um, Amber got it in paperback, which are our two favorite ways of reading. And we ended up um, texting back and forth about all the information we found. Another great source was the Winston-Salem Journal. They did a fantastic job of covering the case. And then I have to also um, do a shout out for all the Irish publications who did a great job as well. Yeah, they were great in covering it too. Wow, you guys have put a lot of hard work into this. So I just want to talk a little bit about something that I think may be overlooked. And I want to preface this by saying I in no way believe that Molly Corbett is a victim in this case. I am not condoning any of her actions. But I think as mothers, and you know, we all have different backgrounds of, of, you know, how children came into our family, whether we birthed them, whether they're adopted, whatever the case may be, stepchildren. Um, and I think we can all agree that, you know, we, we love our babies, right? Absolutely. So at what point do you think maybe we can empathize a little bit with Molly that, you know, those, she considered those her babies, whether, you know, whatever the circumstances may be between her and Jason and their marriage. I mean, what do you guys kind of think about that? Can you kind of see... I can relate completely. Um, My first child, my son, is adopted, and I was very fortunate because I met him before I knew he was mine, and there was this instant, immediate connection, and there was just something special, and even before I knew I was his mom in my heart, I was his mom, so I get it. You don't have to be blood-related to somebody to fall head over heels in love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's maybe a piece to Molly's story that a lot of people don't consider. And again, I'm definitely not saying that that condones anything. You know, if they were, they could have gotten divorced and gone through custody like every other couple. Um, Murder definitely did not have to to come into play there. Um, But it's just heartbreaking. It really is. The whole situation is just so sad. Yeah, and I had no idea what a character she was, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I you know I really feel for Jason's family and those sweet babies. I know they've grown up a little bit now from when this happened, but anyway, you all did an awesome job. I am like on the edge of my seat. I cannot wait for next week's episode to come out. Um, everybody listening, thank you for joining us for our very first episode of the True Crime Mamas podcast. Please tune in next week so that you can hear part two of this Jason Corbett case and stay safe.